Hey, welcome to this episode of the Stand In Your Power podcast. I'm Emma, and I'm here to help you elevate your marketing, sales, and business strategies so that you can grow your business and revenue to the next level. And how about we do that in a way that is bold, playful, empowered, and most importantly, in alignment with your values. Let's get started. Hey, welcome to this episode of the Stand In Your Power podcast. This morning, I am talking with Giselle Allen. If you are a leader of color who wants to lead and empower in revolutionary ways, then you need my incredible guest today. Giselle works with revolutionary leaders of color to support them in expanding their businesses, their team, and leadership, while also ensuring their needs are met in the process. Giselle combines mindset, trauma healing, and intuition to help her clients prioritize people over profit, healthy collaboration, and connection, and rest, and she is fantastic at it. When Giselle's not coaching, you can find her pulling tarot cards, reading fiction by folks of color, and trying to keep her houseplants alive, which we're going to have to talk about in a bit because I've heard (laughs) all about your Monstera plant. (laughs) Giselle is honestly one of my bestest friends on this earth, and she is just one of the most amazing humans I know. So welcome, Giselle. Welcome to the Stand in Your Power podcast. How are you doing? I'm good. Wow. What a beautiful introduction. Thank you. I feel so welcome. (laughs) I'm pleased to hear that. And it's all true. The work that you do is amazing. I'm really excited for people to hear more about what it is that you do. Okay. Me too. Before we dive into it, though, I just have to say, <laughs> you and I are both watching Scandal right now. <laughs> oh, my God. We're so deep. <laughs> You're rewatching it. I'm watching <laughs> it for the first time. We're watching it together because we like to watch shows at the same time so we can chat about them across the Atlantic. Because <laughs> <laughs> we're cool like that. <laughs> um, we've just watched the season three finale, but we haven't properly talked about it yet. What's your take? <laughs> I like even it's so funny because like I've seen it before but like seeing what happened to Jerry literally I was like no I was shocked I was blown away but I was also like kind of deeply confused about the logic behind it like and now everyone was like yeah it was Maya who did it I was like what is what is this like am I like, is anybody really this stupid who's watching who, like, genuinely would think it was Maya? It makes no sense whatsoever. I was like, okay, TV logic. I was very confused. And I was very confused about how, like, how. And also, I feel like Shonda really did a number on us because we're, like, waiting for this bomb. We're waiting for this bomb. Mm-hmm. The bomb explodes. But that's not the scandal of the episode. <laughs> <laughs> It was it was brilliant. It's been really fun rewatching it from a like like years later. I didn't realize that scandal was like. I mean, as at its inception, it was ten years old. Now, it, like now there were three seasons. It's like what seven years old. But it's really interesting watching it on the flip side because like I'm just seeing like the way that men treat women across the board in that show is yeah. like whew, questionable. <laughs> <laughs> and and even the way the men treat men, like relationships in that show are so deeply toxic. Um, and like now my perspective is on like white men. I'm like, ooh, you guys are so mediocre, but also Jake can still get it completely. You know, like it's a whole different. Well, I totally hear you. And I mean, you told me about Scandal. So when I first watched it, I know that one of the things that I was curious about was and I mean, you mentioned it was how would it stand when this is a, you know, a program which is finished and it started mm-hmm. ages ago. Like, how would all the topics stand? And aside from the kind of the relationship bit and the male-female dynamic and some of the like more romantic elements of it, 
the actual storylines, the actual, um, like the power dynamics, the actual things that are going on in the country are still very relevant and very topical to kind of things that we're talking about today. So um, I don't know if you agree about that. I do and I don't. I think that the first, I think in fourth season, we're going to start to see it a little bit more shift towards the way it is today. But definitely like in the first three seasons, it's very, it's fascinating how quickly it happened, but it's very much still a, a like, bipartisan government and Mm -hmm. like this fan like it was believable at the time I don't know how believable it was to people who were more politically inclined I was like 22 and like just living at that point (laughs) but like it it was like viable that like this black woman would be this like intelligent black woman would be dating a republican president and that like you know he was not a bad guy and like very like centrist in a way and that's just so different than the way America is these days it's kind of it's fascinating to see like oh wow this is like a time capsule of what our government sometimes used to be yeah that's very true I mean one of the things like it's interesting mentioning you mentioning that relationship like between like Kerry Washington and whoever it is who plays the president um because I'm really not great with names (laughs) but I think it's fascinating to watch that and what you've just described because it really very much is that like central black woman is that main character who does hold the power in her company and Mm -hmm. sometimes holds the power in relationships but really all the work that she's doing is about that control of power the passing of power who holds the power and who has she decided is worthy of her Mm. to like claim that power Mm -hmm. um And actually, that's a really, um, I'm really proud of myself because that's a really great segue into the topic (laughs) that we're going to talk about today. Um, So let's start off with a definition. Let's start off talking because we are talking a lot about power today. Um, Let's start off with like defining what is revolutionary power? In fact, what do you consider to be power? Because obviously that's a part of it. And then what Mm -hmm. is revolutionary when it kind of comes into the realms of what you're talking about? Hmm. That's a really great question. And the reason why in my work, I distinguish revolutionary power from power is because I think power in itself can have a really icky feeling. Like, I don't know about you, but when I said like power, it's like there's like this like dirty feeling that came up in my body. Um, mm-hmm. Because I think when we think about power, especially as folks of color, right, like we've often been at like victims of folks who are quote unquote in power and like power is used to manipulate it's used to have power over like when we typically think of power we're thinking of power over we're thinking of oppression we're thinking of power hoarding mm-hmm. um all of these things that white supremacy views to be power it's this thing that you get it's this thing that is given to you it's this thing that can be taken away that's like our traditional view of what power is And so this is why I throw the word revolutionary in front of it, because when I am talking about revolutionary power, I'm talking about something that is entirely unrelated to that, which is our inherent power, the power that lives within us that we've always had, the power that has been given to us through generations, through the ancestors, through our culture, the power that helps us as revolutionaries, as folks of color, create change and stand in our truth and go after what we deserve and what our communities deserve. That is power. It's something that can't be taken away. It's not something that we get. It's a thing that's within us. It's just a matter of how often are we accessing it and to what level of depth are we allowing ourselves to access it? Wow. I mean, just hearing you talk about it in that sense, like I feel turned on just listening. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, I love, and I really love how you distinguish that because power, as you say, when people talk about it, does have these connotations. And so I love that you flip this on its head and say, well, let's look at the power that you have internally and how you can create more of that and more of it in a very specific way that you've just like, I really, I really love how you describe that. Obviously, my realm is within kind of like marketing strategy and sales strategy mm -hmm. and business and things. And you do work with entrepreneurs as well. So yes. why is feeling powerful or powerful in that revolutionary way just as important as your business strategy when you are in the business space? It's really just as important. And, you know, I want to caveat this with saying, like, I think a lot of people, when you like have a niche, you're always like, my thing is the most important thing. But I like want to let people know I've done business strategy work before. Like, yeah. I am very much a strategic person. Um, I'm not someone who doesn't think strategy is important. That being said, your strategy does not matter if you don't feel powerful because no matter what information you have at your fingertips, no matter what brilliant thing someone's told you what to do, if you don't believe that you can do it, yes. if you don't believe that it can work for you, you're never going to do it. And, you know, one thing I want to say as well outside of that is this reliance on strategy. On, and I want to say this reliance on other people to give us a strategy that yeah. in itself is disempowered, right? It's because like, yes, there are so many strategies that can help us like pull different levers, as you like to say, Emma, and like can help us like tweak and make things better and more efficient and like all those things. And also at the end of the day, business just really isn't that complex, yeah. you know? And there's so much, there's so much that if we truly trusted ourselves and trusted our intuitions in the way that we wanted to run our business, that we could actually just source from within. And that is, again, accessing our power and recognizing how much we do know versus like just looking for someone else to give us the answer 24-7 and assuming all the time that we don't know anything. I mean, yes. I mean, I feel like I'm raising my hands here and being like, hell yes. Because, yeah, I think, I think that is really, really key. And something that came to mind when I was thinking about this podcast episode beforehand is... The idea that in my work, I definitely talk about empowering people. Like I have the mm -hmm. Empowered Strategy Collective. You and I talk about how, you know, there are different ways to consult and to coach that are empowering or that actually can be quite disempowering in the coaching space. Yeah. So actually the question I had for you is based on what you just said, is there a difference between empowerment and feeling powerful? Because I talk about empowerment quite a bit. And I have mm -hmm. such a focus on empowering people and what empowerment truly means. Like I literally, I, I created some content about the other day because I think people totally use that word in the wrong context. But I'd love your take on that because obviously the word power is in both empowerment and feeling powerful. Are they different? Are they just different ways of saying the same thing? What's your perspective on that? That's a really great question. I mean, when we look at them, you know, when I look at those words and that phrase like together, Feeling powerful to me is an internal process. It's the way that you feel. It's in your body and empowerment. For me, it's about helping others to feel okay. empowered. And maybe that's just the way that I look at it. But, you know, at least from the world that I'm in is that that's really the way I look at it. I look at empowerment about it's a more external thing, whereas feeling powerful is really within yeah, that's that's really interesting. So maybe like empowerment is is around. So the way I describe empowerment is like, because I think in the online space, a lot of people talk about empowerment being um, somebody showing you how to do something. Or let me teach you how to do this. So I'm going mm -hmm. to to allow you to open this up. And I think about it in the fact that 
empowerment is actually not someone letting you do something. It's not someone showing you how to do something. It's actually someone helping you to see that you can already do that, which obviously like connects us in that sense. And it's helping you to understand how to access that. It's like showing you that you can do this thing and then helping you to do more of it rather than like teaching you and saying, oh, you didn't have this before. Now let me give it to you. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I completely agree. It's a real epidemic in the online entrepreneurship space because a lot of people are out here calling themselves business coaches and they're not actually coaches because coaches empower coaches. Like you said, create space for you to find your own answers. Anyone mm -hmm. who's giving you answers, anyone who's constantly giving you solutions, like that's not empowerment. That's disempowerment because it takes away your agency as an individual. And I know that's something that like is really important in your work, Emma, because I've worked with you. And I know that like for you, it's like, yeah, you're, you're always like, there's a lot of different ways. What do you want to do? Right. And I know for me, like that's something that is really, really important for me to like even out in a space, especially when we're talking about folks of color, because this entire world is really just built around disempowering folks of color in like systematic ways. Like it's, it's really, the whole world is structured like that. So it's really important when we are coaching, when we are in our own spaces that we are actually truly empowering one another and reminding us that we can trust ourselves, trust our intuitions, trust our instincts, and that we can access those things. I think a lot of people struggle to even access them from the jump. So yeah, that, you know, that's why I started working with coaches and training coaches because it's it's so necessary to have more people in this industry, more BIPOC folks in this industry who actually understand what it means to empower somebody and aren't just perpetuating a white supremacist norm. Yeah. And I mean, I remember when you first started taking on mentees, I guess, like in your coach yeah. mentorship. Yeah. <laughs> in your coach mentorship program. And I just was blown away by talking with you and just suddenly having that realization of how much of an up-leveled, of a different, of an incredible experience they are then going to be equipped to give their clients, like, like to help them to access the power within them and feel that empowerment through the work that you're helping them to unlock. And I think that that's just an incredible gift. I mean, I know that it's your, it's part of your business, but I think it's an incredible gift that you're imparting to coaches who are working with you to increase the ways that they're able to do that work. Thank you. Yeah. You know, I think it's really interesting because something that I work on and like, this is just a little aside, but something I've been working on with like pretty much every person who comes in for me is that like, as coaches as service providers like we're always so quick to try and help our folks find the answer because we're worried that like they won't get the value if we don't help them find the perfect right answer for them right and so we're like so solution-based and a huge part uh that I'm working on with my mentees is helping them remember like our clients already have the answers there's nothing to find and that we can trust if we sit back and if we just like help them actually dig within themselves that it's already there and they're going to create it we don't have to do the like big solution. Let's help you find a solution dance. <laughs> um, like we're not the ones actually doing the work. They are. Yeah. And I think, I mean, one thing I just want to say before I go on to the next question is through talking with you around that element of coaching and sitting back and allowing people to find those decisions that they already have inside themselves is when I really realized I've always maintained that there's a difference between consulting and coaching and that definitely mm -hmm. gets muddied <laughs> online. Mm -hmm. um, and I've always been very specific about how, yes, I do some elements of coaching, but I am a consultant because whilst 
my work helps people when they're saying, right, I know this answer, but this is what I want to achieve. But they don't know the technical aspects or the online aspects of how do I make that happen in my business, simply because that's about knowledge that they're looking to gain rather than answers that they have inside themselves. And that's something I think that is that difference between the empowering work, which is, you know, the coaching element of it, Mm -hmm. and then the empowering work, which is the consulting element, giving people the tools to do what they know they can. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I want to just say, like, that's something I've always really, really appreciated about you is knowing is that you really do hold that line between coaching and consulting and like understand where you want to fit within it and where your work fits within it, because it's just a great example of the integrity that you hold with your work. And I think Understanding what we can do and what we can't do as providers is one of the ways that we maintain our integrity and stand our integrity as folks in business. So I just love that. Ah, well, thank you. But also, I love that you're making that point because that's really an awesome, very specific thing that I think that is a great takeaway for people because I hadn't thought about that element of integrity before. So that's really <laughs> cool. So being that we're talking about those kind of, you know, business and and how coaching helps you to do that. Why do you feel that deepening and expanding your access to power as a Black woman, as a woman of color, is a money-making activity? Why do you think that is? Mm, I know it's a money-making activity. I mean, outside for the fact that I've been, I've been in this game for a minute and I've seen it, the reality is, is that the ability for you to access your power, like the deeper your access to power the more sure you are going to be in your decision-making and the bigger risks you're going to feel comfortable taking. And it's just having access to power, it then impacts your emotions. It makes you feel more confident. Like I always consider like confidence to be power is like little sister, you know, it makes you more confident. It makes you more self-assured. It makes you feel like you can overcome things. And when you feel like you can do all those things, when you feel like you can overcome, when you feel like you can take big risks, then you're going to actually take the actions in your business that you need to take to expand and grow. You're going to put yourself out there more and be more visible. You're going to really like be unafraid on sales calls. You're going to have big, bold, splashy marketing. You're going to show up differently in the way that you work with your clients and as a result, get better testimonials. It is really the gift that continues giving. <laughs> and it really impacts every area of your business. I, you know, I think a lot of people think that focusing on power and focusing on feeling deeply empowered is a luxury, number one, because we just, most of us haven't really felt that. We haven't felt a constant flow of power. We haven't, we mm-hmm. like have moments of it. We have moments of brilliance, but we yeah. don't have access to it on like a day-to-day constant basis. And we just don't understand the difference it makes. But it's really the difference in being able to like hop over a puddle versus being able to like scale a wall. You know, it's like, yeah. it just gives you so much strength to do everything that you want to do in your business and do it better, faster, stronger. Yeah, no, that's really amazing. And you said one thing there that really stuck out to me, which was around, it's the difference between having it in like in spurts and starts and like Mm -hmm. here and there and the difference between having access to it just on the daily 24 seven. And do you think that's something that people, that everybody has access to? Do you think that some people are naturally more confident in accessing their power? Or do you think that everybody has to kind of unlock that? I think that power is nurtured. And I think that some people are nurtured in their power from birth, see white men, versus like BIPOC folks, we aren't nurtured in power. We are nurtured to like, 
we are nurtured to feel like we have less power and we see it like we see it around us as well that systems are built to keep us out we actually do not have power in certain, we actually do have less power when we're talking about power over at least in certain situations and so we then internalize that as mm -hmm. having less access to our own revolutionary power but power is nurture and it's something that everyone i have seen people come from truly feeling deeply disempowered to having power all day every day and like moving through this world in ways that i'm like damn like did we really do that <laughs> <laughs> and so like I do believe that everyone has access to deep, constant power. It's work. It's a practice, but it's worth it. So, yeah, it's not it's not something like you're sitting there like, yeah, it could work for other people, but it can't work for me. It can work for you if you want it and if you're going to do the work for it like it can. Yeah. I think that's probably one of the very first times that I've heard you make or heard anyone make that connection between being nurtured in power over and how that or, or not being nurtured in power over and how that affects us with our internal connection to our internal power. I, I, I think that that's a really key point there. So talk to me about one thing that helps people, particularly black women, particularly women of color, but really anyone who comes from any kind of marginalized background, because we have a lot of audience who are in the LGBTQIA plus space. We have a lot of audience who are from places in Africa and Asia where they haven't typically had that culturally powerful position. Is mm -hmm. there one big thing that can help people expand their power? Yeah. And this was something that was really surprising to me when I really started digging into the work of helping people access their revolutionary power, the biggest thing to focus on is safety and specifically focusing on internal safety. Because the reality is as marginalized folks, I'll expand this out to marginalized folks since we're including other groups. There are a lot of places in this world that are not, that like are objectively unsafe for us. There are a lot of people in this world who are objectively unsafe for us. And so what we need to work on is, is, being able to access our internal safety in those moments, being able to and being able to access our internal safety in general, because again, when we live in a world that is fundamentally unsafe for us, where we where we experience unsafe interactions in our families, in our communities, and but really at the end of the day, at the behest of white supremacy, capitalism, patriarchy, like all of these systems that really beat down on us every day, we start to feel unsafe as individuals. And when we feel unsafe, it's impossible for us to access our power. It's like literally biologically impossible. And so for us to feel more powerful, we have to feel safe standing in our power. Um, and so we have to start fundamentally with safety. You cannot have power without safety. And if you really want to look at the places where you feel disempowered in your life, like start paying attention and ask yourself, like, do I feel safe here? Do I feel safe doing this thing? What do I feel like will happen if I stand in my power in this place? And you'll probably notice that safety is at the crux of everything when you really start digging into it. I think that's incredible. And I actually think that that's possibly one of the most enlightening things that I have heard around accessing power when you have been through any kind of marginalization experience, when you have been through any kind of traumatic experiences, whether that's generational, whether that's in your childhood, whether that's current as an adult, that element of safety, I had never really kind of connected that with that, you know, being able to access that power. So I think that that is just really incredible. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, so one thing that came to mind um, based when I was thinking about this question is that there are a lot of very successful entrepreneurs who mm -hmm. struggle to stand in their power and feel confident even when externally 
they've had a lot of success, even when externally they potentially are very extroverted and portraying that sense of success and they may even feel successful inside of themselves you know they've bought ranches and you know like we're going to the Maldives every every few months so why are many people like that still struggling to stand in their power even though they're experiencing success not just externally and financially but success in their own sense of goals as well yeah well the reality is is that External success, external like validation, it's never going to bring you internal power. What's really going on if you have seen success, you've, you know, met your goals and you're still finding that you get tripped over, you still don't feel quite as powerful as you want to be. It's because you haven't actually addressed like the core wound, the core thing that's that makes you feel less powerful, that makes you feel disempowered. Um, a lot of these stories that we have around power, not stories even, a lot of these like reactions, a lot of these traumas that we have around power, they began in our childhood, they began in our communities, because a lot of times in our communities, um, our parents and people around us have really pushed us to assimilate to whiteness, to really um, be the right kind of person of color, the right kind of woman, the mm -hmm. right kind of, you know, palatable queer person, like whatever it is, so that we can be successful and that as a result, be safe. But what that does is it says it's not okay to be you. It's not okay to want what you want. And you're only going to be good enough if you put on this other shell. Mm -hmm. And so what we really need to do, if you're noticing you're in that space, is that you, like, if you're noticing you're in a space where you've been successful, you can do the things, but you still kind of like, feel kind of funky on the inside, there's work to do um, back at the core and at the root to really heal what's happening around there so that your internal world can match the external things that are happening in your life. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So question, question, question. Um, while you were talking about that, I was realizing I know what it feels like for me when I have success in my business, in my life, when mm -hmm. I reach beyond where I ever thought was possible, like 10 years ago, when I was like a single mom in a tiny yeah. little flat. Like, and I know what it feels like when I'm experiencing success, but I'm still not. I st for me, it's a niggling feeling inside where I mm -hmm. still don't feel like I'm standing in that power. In fact, even as much as saying to you before this episode that I am sometimes scared to do like my podcast, to interview people. Like that's not something that I feel powerful in. But I'd love to know from all the people that you've worked with, what does it feel like? Because I think a lot of listeners may not know whether this is power related or, you know, something else. What do you sense that it feels like when people are feeling successful, but are not feeling like they're standing in their power internally? What does that tangibly kind of tend to feel like for people? Mm, that's a really good question. Um, I think it likely feels like, and again, the, you know, I, as you're saying, like it feels, it, all these things feel different for everyone. Mm -hmm. um, but I will say I think it tends to feel like you are pushing through something heavy. Like there's this heavy – there's like this wall that you're always climbing over or there's like this heavy load that you're dragging along with you. And you're saying like the, – the heavy load is saying like you're not good enough or no one wants to hear what you're saying or this might not work. Mm -hmm. Like that load is always there behind you and you're still dragging it along to get to where you're going. I think that can be what it feels like for some people. I think for other people, it can feel like you you do the thing, but there it's also like it can feel like a tornado in your brain. Like it's just a lot of circular thoughts. It can feel mm -hmm. like that as well. 
Um, so for some people, it might feel heavy in the body. For other people, it might feel like loopy in the brain. I think those are like some common ways it can yeah. be known. Do you think that's where people start to experience fear? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> and like I want to name that like fear is 100% normal, especially when you're doing things like running a business because running a business, there's no like – um there's no fantasy of like control. There's no fantasy of stability when you're running a business. And as a result, like your nervous system is like, no, 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 no. This is unsafe. This is unsafe. This is unsafe, yeah. especially for marginalized folks, because we typically come from backgrounds that have included scarcity or at least like in, if it isn't in our lived experience, it might be only a generation or two back. Um, yeah. And so that real, that's, fear of scarcity it lives in our bodies because it's been passed down from generations and likely the ways that we've been raised and the things that we've been taught to value have been to keep us away from scarcity i feel like most marginalized folks like the biggest fear in our communities and like within our family units is scarcity like yeah. that's the big so it, it's really normal to experience fear and that's why it's so important to really look at our identities, look at our cultures, the, the stories that have happened within our families so that we can really understand why we feel the way we feel and work with that instead of trying to like pretend like it's a mindset thing around like, oh, I'm scared of my podcast. It's like, you know, scared of your podcast. Like there's some shit going on in the background, you know? <laughs> um, so yeah. What do you mean, Giselle? My podcast is genuinely going to eat me. <laughs> No, I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah, it's true. You know, we think about it as we think about it as a fear. We think about it as like, oh my God, this is to do with me thinking I can't do a podcast. But that's not true because we've done so many hard things. Like we've come through and we've created so much success so that there must be something happening deeper than that that is not allowing us to fully own that power and, and feel powerful in that moment when actually we have every, not just right, but we have every capacity to feel powerful around that. So yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And like one thing I want to say around that, too, is that this is why it's so important to work with, like, if you are working with someone around, you know, the mindset or like around these fears, it's really important to work with someone who is trauma informed because mm -hmm. a lot of times, you know, we again, thinking of like dragging that weight behind us, we're like, okay, just going to push through, just going to push through the fear because as folks of color, like we're used to having to push through shit to get somewhere. Like, you know, our people haven't always had the easy lives and they might still not have easy lives. So like we can push through some shit. And also when we push through a lot of times, we can like re-traumatize ourselves. <laughs> we can like do all kinds of stuff and we don't actually fix the fix the problem. And so when we ease into things, when we like take the time to move forward slowly, mark that we're safe, move forward slowly again, mark that we're safe, right? And really allow ourselves to feel it in the body. That's how we move forward and feel good while we do it. We don't feel like we're dragging that load. We're not stuck in that mental spiral um, because along the way, we are allowing ourselves to feel safe in what we chase. And we're also healing and resolving the past. Right. Got that. Because actually, I was going to ask you about that. I was going to ask you about, because you mentioned that ahead of the podcast, like, is just doing the damn thing actually harmful? And I was not aware that that was a thing. So you describing it that way is mind-blowing to me, but it makes so much sense. The way I explain this with clients is we talk about j jumping the trauma fence. And so it's like, you imagine you're like a goat and you're on one side of this fence and you're like, 
because you really want to do this thing. Like you really want to put your, sorry, I'm going to use the podcast again. You really want to put the podcast out, right? But your body is saying, I am not ready to do this. I am really fucking scared. This is fucking terrifying. And that's why like, you know, you let's use like an Instagram post you or a reel for, per se. Like you put out the reel, this like reel that you were nervous about. You jump over the fence and then you're like, oh, I got to go lay down. Like I have a huge hangover. Like this was, that was t- deeply terrifying. Like I feel worn. It's like, you weren't ready for that. Um, and so it's like, let's go back behind the fence and like, let's work on pushing the fence forward uh-huh. in a way. And so that you, so that you're actually doing things that your body is ready for. And like, you'll get to the thing that you want to, if we just actually allow, we actually listen to the wisdom in your body because your, your body is doing like a really sage, smart thing. It's trying to protect you. And it's also telling, it's also indicating to you that there's something going on that needs to be resolved. Yeah. Oh my God. That, I mean, firstly, that's amazing. Secondly, my brain is going haywire because I have so many questions. Around. <laughs> Let's dive into the first one though, because one of the things that you do in your work, and you've mentioned this a few times already today, is checking in the body and encouraging people to check in with their bodies and really yeah. working. And I believe that's when you start to call it somatic work. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, one of the most powerful things that I've ever done is spending just 30 minutes with you doing somatic work. And I could not believe the power and intensity that comes out of that. Um, So I think when some people look at the kind of work you do, it looks like, because this is what a lot of other coaches do, it looks like mindset work. It looks like Mm -hmm. they're going to work on the thoughts. But how does the mindset work together, or the mindset work work together (laughs) with the somatic work to build your revolutionary power? Like, what does that look like? Yeah. I mean, if you haven't gotten the the picture already, I don't believe that mindset work is enough to build revolutionary power because revolutionary power, it's so much in our bodies. It's in our genes. It's in, it's like, it's, it's deeper than the mind. And so the way that it works is, I mean, you really combine when I'm working with an individual one-on-one and then like, you know, this cause we've done sessions together. We enter through the door of the mind and we like, cause the mind is like the place where we start to really be able to acknowledge it. Unless you have like a really deep somatic capacity and you might start feeling it in your body before it hits your mind. So we enter through the door of the mind. Like what's the fear that's showing up for you? What's the thing that you're like noticing you're scared of? What's the thing that you know you can't do right now, or it feels like you can't do right now. And then from there underneath, like the, Underneath the thoughts that are bumping around in our brain 24-7, living there rent-free, um, there's stuff in our body that's happening. There's feelings. There's emotions. There's experiences that are hanging out in our bodies. It's why our heart races sometimes or, like I said, why we feel heavy or why after you have, like, a really emotional experience, you feel dirt-ass tired. It's because mm-hmm. your body is working and your body is constantly trying to resolve it. And a lot of times as well, I found it's important to bring in spirit as well. And so I'll bring, I'll call in ancestors for my clients or, you know, a previous version of yourself or a future version of yourself because there's like a whole world that, um, there's a whole world that helps us access our power. Our ancestors are like always here and our ancestors are such a fountain of power and strength and joy. And they're so willing and happy to resource us. And our body as well is like where we really, when we tap into the body, that's the place where we can really feel the power and understand that it's there and get to know it in a tangible way. And then 
we kind of just pop back up to the mind to like go go forth back out to do the things that was like a lot i hope it made sense it did make sense it did make sense it's really interesting um just a slight tangent question there um a lot of people may not know who their specific are a lot of people may not have a connection to family maybe they've been adopted maybe they've had some kind of interruption in their generational line of some sort Mm -hmm. do you feel that does it have to be like specific ancestors in your line? Do you feel that this is kind of a generalized ancestors? What what does that look like for you? That's a really great question. Um, so like to a little bit of background about me for people who don't know me. Um, I mean, you can hear my accent. I'm American, and like I'm a direct descendant of people who were involved in who were enslaved during chattel slavery. So like I do not have a huge access to my ancestors as well. Um, I have like a couple of direct ancestors that I know and then like I have a community that's around me that I don't know specifically who they are um mm-hmm. but they're with me and some you know this is something that I have learned through working with folks of color of all different backgrounds you know you know I've worked with adopted folks before and what we'll do is we call like sometimes we will call in ancestors who aren't in our direct bloodline but are still in our family line because Mm -hmm. they were our adopted grandparents or they were our adopted aunt and they meant something for us and they're still waiting to support us they are still ancestors like ancestry family is not just about bloodlines all the time um so like we'll call them in and then we will also access their culture if you know ancestors from their culture ancestors from their bloodline if they feel like that's something that they want to do and something that they have access to. It can also get dicey with mixed race folks. We typically just like, <laughs> I don't know if you have like a specific white ancestor who <laughs> feels okay. We bring them in and then we're typically like, okay, the rest of y'all can like stay, can like stay out. But long story short, there are different ways to access your ancestry. Like, you know, something I, I tell people to do all the time is like, you know, maybe it's a matter of looking at pictures of where you're from um, and where your people, where you like think your people might be from. Sometimes it might be like pulling up a blanket that's made from fabric from, you know, your diaspora, whatever diaspora you like are, you hail from. It, there's so many different ways that we can access the ancestors and they really are waiting here. You don't have to know the specific person. Um, and there's like small ways that you can build up your connections to yeah. them without, yeah, knowing the whole thing. I think that's amazing. And I mean, as you were talking, one of the things I was thinking about is, I I think you know, but a lot of the listeners may not know that. So my academic work in my master's and my PhD was in identity. It was in hybrid identity of Black women from the African diaspora who have had some kind of um, disruption at some point. So whether that's um, immediate, where their parents have moved out of a country, or whether that is generational, where, um, you know, you've been taken out of your country forcefully in generations past. You know, there's, there's different elements there where we can have a disrupted or hybrid diasporic um, identity. And one of the things that I was thinking about there is, actually, there's a sense of power. And I mean, correct me if, if you feel that I'm wrong, or you may agree, there's a sense of power there that I can feel in claiming who in our ancestry or which of our ancestors or which of our background culturally feels that it's the right thread to pull on to support us in where, where we are and the support and journey that we're on right now. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I really thought that identity-wise, that um, that's a really powerful thing to be able to make choices around. Okay. I would love to, if you don't mind, tackle mm-hmm. intersectionality for a moment. Yeah. Because um, we chat about this a lot in our personal mm-hmm. conversations. We've just touched on it right now. Um, do you mind sharing about your intersectional identities? 
yeah. Or I don't like, I guess, no, I don't <laughs> mind. Uh, <laughs> so let's see my intersectional identities. I am black racially and ethnically. I'm American, which I feel some type of way around these days. Um, I am a cisgender woman. I'm queer. Um, I'm in a hetero presenting relationship. I, what else about me? I live in a like larger body, saying a fat body still kind of feels like dicey to me. Those are my big ones. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I really appreciate that. I think that, you know, a lot of people who listen to podcasts sometimes identify themselves with the speakers, sometimes don't, sometimes may not realize that they have connections or relations with um, with the speakers, whether they're guests or the main person. And I also think it's important to understand how our intersectional identities are important in the work that we're talking about. So why, if you don't mind me asking, do you feel that your intersectional identities are an important part when you do the work with the folks who you work with to build their power? Mm, that's a really great question. Um, my personal intersectional identities, I think they're really important. I think there's so many, of course, I'm like pulling these threads now and I'm like, there, I mean, there's so many ways in which my intersectional identities are important in the work <laughs> that I do. Um, and I'm now realizing a lot of the intersectional identities that I left out, but, um, you know, I mean, obviously in blackness, there is an identity there that is important when I'm doing this work with BIPOC folks, because I can understand at least the BIPOC experience, or sorry, I can understand at least the black experience and I can empathize with other experiences as well. I think my queer identity is actually a hugely important part of my work um, because it makes me I don't say this is necessarily true for a lot of uh, for all queer people, but I think that it's more true for queer people than it can be for other folks, which is that like I am so much more open to other identities, open to especially when it comes to my folks who are playing with their gender identities or folks who are neurodivergent, like things like that. Like I'm just so much more open to being inclusive and making accommodations for people. And I do think my queerness is a huge part of that because it's like a, just a deeper intersection of um marginalization that fits into my identity and I'm like not still trying to like grasp onto any kind of binary because like I'm like I don't know what what is sexuality anyways yeah um <laughs> I think one of the huge identities that I didn't mention that's a really a part of the, a really important part of the work that I do is my identity as someone who navigates and struggles with their mental health um mm -hmm. because a lot of my dexterity around emotion around complexity around depths and highs come from the fact that I navigate those in my personal life. Like you can't go anywhere deeper than I haven't gone before and you probably can't go anywhere higher either. I'm not scared of anything you bring to me. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I might argue that, I mean, obviously I'm not you, I can't speak of this for you, but I might argue even potentially more than a queer identity, a mental health, um, you know, as somebody who struggles with their mental health, it's much more familiar with, or maybe not much more, maybe maybe I'm I'm wrong, but I think there's that familiarity potentially with a queer identity and um, somebody who struggles with mental health in self-compassion and in understanding and in caring about all the different nuances of what a struggle can feel like. Um, oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think that comes through in a, like, a lot of different yeah. identities. As that... I was saying it, I was like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> me not so much, but I think they definitely work together. And I know that you identify as a psychic medium. Mm -hmm. uh, do you feel that that is important when you do the work? Because, I mean, I can definitely share an experience based on your skills in, in that area. I Yeah, it's definitely, you know, for a long time, I didn't 
understand that a big reason why I was like, because I was, I've like, I've all, I've naturally was a great coach. Like I, I started off really good. Like I did not start off where normal people start. Um, and I did, it took me years to recognize that a big reason why I started from that place is that I read energy a lot of the times, like, mm -hmm. you know, and like when you and I had our first calls, like, oh, wow. Like I really feel it because you have such a, I don't know if you mind talking about, like you <laughs> have, and it's like, do you mind? Do you mind? Is this okay? <laughs> Be, but because like you, your energy is so open and why? Because you are so in touch with your energy and your body as well. It's like. Um, but yeah, it's like, I, so much of what I'm doing is reading energy, picking up stuff from your, from your ancestors, your like spirit, all these things are just like dropping things into me. Like, that's why, you know, I'm a really huge proponent of coaches sitting back because it really, like when I coach, it's really never about me. It's like, okay, someone like something keeps telling me to bring up the word protection. Like what's going mm. on here, you know? And, yeah. or it's like, I don't know where we're going. I just know that I'm saying things and that, it feels like the right place to go. And so, yes, I mean, that's like everything in my coaching yeah. practice. Honestly, I have to think to that. And I will say I did not know the power of coaching until I had had a coach who was able to read me. That mm. reading element that you bring to your work adds a dimension that is unrecognizable because as you say, you are reading stuff that maybe even the person you're speaking with does not even necessarily know about themselves. And they're yeah. able to help them tap into things, release things, address things, confront things that are going to help them access more of their internal power and in turn empower themselves that they couldn't have brought to you as a problem because they didn't know it was there. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's really amazing. So I want to just center back around or circle back around, I guess, to um, power and how it affects business and marketing. Mm -hmm. One of the ways that, uh, and you mentioned this with Instagram Reels, one of the major places that a lot of folks feel that they're not fully owning their power is in their marketing and mm -hmm. particularly on social media. Can you share a bit about why that's so normal? Yeah, I will say that like 99.9% .9 of the time when someone says that they're not showing up the way that they want to be, they're typically talking about social media. <laughs> like, like, I like, yes, sometimes it's like your email list, but most people are focusing on social media. And um, specifically, I feel like Instagram is one is like the bigger place that people talk about. But the reason why this is so normal is because like, Showing up and especially in the way that we are taught to show up in on, in the online space, which is like bear your whole soul, speak your whole truth, don't hide anything, show your underwear drawer, right? Like, yeah, um, that's my harmful white person coach voice, by the way. If you could, I tell. love that voice. I was huh? <laughs> telling your true feelings, she said. <laughs> <laughs> but um, we're doing this in a space where like we're kind of like getting naked and stepping into like a void where we can't see who's looking at us. We can't see who's showing up. It's completely open. There's no like real gate to create any form of safety. And like the reason why I always bring up social media is because it's like, if you don't want to, if you don't feel comfortable and really, if you don't feel safe showing up on social media and like bearing your whole soul and your whole truth, that's okay. That's normal. How could you when, when you literally don't know who is there? Yeah. And there's like, you know, we've already talked about safety, so I'm not going to dig into it, but it's like, if you're holding back when it comes to being on social media, a huge, the, the likelihood that you need to 
num- that you need to work on safety and like smaller, safer spaces and work on your marketing in spaces where it feels tolerable to be seen in your truth before stepping back out into that space is very, very likely and very, very normal. I can't tell you how many clients I work with where at the end of the day, we're just talking about Instagram and like how unsafe it fundamentally feels because yeah. like, and, and why that makes sense. That's fascinating. I mean, it's amazing that it all comes back to that element of safety. Yeah. Um, I mean, when you were talking, I was thinking about a lot of places, basically you have to show up on video because, mm-hmm. you, know, you know, I'm thinking YouTube, I'm thinking um, Facebook lives, I'm even thinking podcasts, or if you have to, you know, do a workshop or a webinar or training or anything like that, it's really where you're, I think that's also that, again, drawing back to safety, that feeling of sharing your thoughts and sharing, you know, the things that you have worked so hard on and not knowing people's responses because you can't see the people behind the screen. And that, again, I think people think of it as imposter syndrome or, oh, I'm not confident in um, in my work, in my intellectual property. But from what you've said, to me, it comes back to that safety element of not feeling safe. Absolutely. I mean, we don't have nearly enough time to talk about how like mindset, coaching, like therapy, all of these things tend to put things on the individual that actually belong to the system and how that is like white supremacist in nature. But as a result, we tend to think like, if I can't show up for, if I can't show up and if I can't market, if I can't sell, if I can't do all these things in the way that I want to, I have a mindset problem and I just need to get over it. I need to fix myself. Like, it's like, no, 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 wait. What if your body and what if your mind is like actually trying to do like a really wise sage thing and protect you? And like, yes, it's maladaptive at this point because it's keeping you from the things that you want to do. But how can we honor that? How can we like see that for the gift that it is? And then how can we move through it um, and recognize that like maybe your body's just responding to the fact that you live in an unsafe world as a marginalized person and it's trying to make sure that you don't have someone like say some something racist to you or like call you fat or like all the things that people love to do, especially in the fucking internet. So, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that in itself is powerful to just recognize. If you if you can take that away from this episode, listeners, beautiful listeners, <laughs> um, I think that that is such a powerful thing to remind yourself that it's it's maybe not a you problem. It's maybe a system problem. <laughs> it's almost never a you problem, y'all. Like literally even something that is individual because it came from your family, very likely is in your family and in your culture because of intergenerational trauma. Like I, it's just, I promise you, it's, it's like so very rarely a you problem. Mm-hmm. So very rarely. So in that vein, I'm guessing there are a lot of people who don't think it's possible to access more power. And I think there's two threads to this. I think that there's the people who are like, you know what? I'm fully standing in my power. There's, you know, there's no more for me to try and tap into. I'm good. And then there's other people who are feeling like, you know what? I've been at this for so long and it's hard. I don't know that I have any more power within myself that I can release. So what would you say to people like on either side who think that it's not possible for them to access more power? What I would really say to you is spend some time with the revolutionary power within you. Um, Because when you spend time there, you can see how deep it really is and how there is always more power for us to access. I've said this, you know, in, in when we were talking about the ancestors, but it's like, okay, maybe you have reached your capacity for your individual power. I doubt it. But like, maybe you have. Like, 
There's ancestors to pull from. There's our culture to pull from. There's people in our lives to pull from. Like there's so much power available to us. Mm. I promise you it is infinite. It is expansive. And if you have more to do on this earth, which I promise you that you do, you have more access to power to go out and get it. Like it is, there is no amount of work that you can do around power to have hit it. There is truly no amount of work that can get you to a point where you have access to all of your power. So now that we've talked about that, can you tell me a bit more about how people to help them with this kind of access to power to facilitate the growth that they're looking for in all the ways that we've discussed today? Absolutely. Um, So number one, you can always work with me one-on-one. I have a one-on-one coaching practice where we do this work and we do it over an extended period of time, depending on what your needs are and what level of power you want to access. Um, And we do it in a way so that you, unlike you know, other folks who want you to be dependent on them forever. My goal with my folks is always that you don't need me after the time that we're done working together. Mm. And so what we're doing is we're deepening your access to power, but we're also making sure that you know how to access it forever and ever and ever without me. So that's one way that you can work with me. The other way you can work with me is through my six-week course that I am relaunching this summer called The Power Portal, which is like chef's kiss, beautiful. And it's all about accessing power. So we spend six weeks um, resourcing internal safety, connecting to the ancestors, releasing crusty and dusty stories that don't belong to us, looking at our intersectional identities, all of the things within a community of BIPOC folks who I have vetted and made sure that they are all going to act right and not act a fool in the sacred space. So those are two of the ways that you can work with me. And if you choose to work with me one-on-one, you also get access to the power portal. So you're not missing out. Amazing. <laughs> and the power portal is just like, it's such an amazing offering that you have. So I'm excited that you're opening that again. Um, we're going to share all of Giselle's links on the show notes. So make sure you head over to the website to check out where you can get in touch with her, take a look at her website and also sign up for the power portal when it does open up. Um, and we're going to go into our rapid fire questions, but just before we do that, Giselle, what do you say to folks who feel that accessing power and becoming more powerful in themselves just isn't enough to get them to where they want to go in business? What I would say to them is that everything that you want for your business, for yourself, is on the other side of accessing more power. It is the only thing, like if you do nothing else in your business, and again, I am biased, but I've also seen this because I've worked with people on business strategy and I've worked with people in revolutionary power. And at the end of the day, power is going to take you further than any strategy could because that, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, that's, it's really like the end period. Like everything you want is on the opposite side of feeling more powerful. And if you feel like it's not enough, it's likely because you just aren't accessing it in as deeply and as fully as you need or want to in this moment. I love that. Thank you so much, Giselle. I'm going to ask you a couple of questions so that we have some amazing resources from your heart to share um, with everybody who listens to the podcast. So I'm going to ask you some quick questions. Hopefully mm-hmm. you answer prepared. <laughs> <laughs> what is a podcast that you find educational that you'd love to share? I love the podcast Code Switch. It's probably more like infotainment, so informational and entertaining. But I think like as a BIPOC person, it's really fun to listen to a lot of different perspectives and a lot of different experiences around the BIPOC experience. Um, It is a little US centered, but I still love it. Well, I'm in the UK and I adore Code Switch. So (laughs) 
<laughs> love that you recommended that. Um, what's a book that you love, either now or one that you've read before? Mm, okay. A book that I'm reading right now that I'm really loving is called True Biz. It's written by a white person and is a very white centered. I will name that. But it's about a group of deaf students at a deaf boarding school. And it's I'm just learning so much about deaf culture, you know, um, deaf history. It's a really like I don't read many books written by white folks, but I am enjoying it. There's even like a little a little bit about black ASL in there, too, which was surprising for me. Amazing. Um, if you had to recommend one learning resource around anti-racism or anti-capitalism or anti-patriarchy or anything like that, what would you recommend? I would recommend, people are not resources, but I would recommend that you check out Anything and Everything by Toy Marie. Toy is an incredible teacher specifically around having a business that works within capitalism and is not like oppressive and fucked up. A resource from her that you can check out is her workshop, Business Beyond Profit. I think that's a really great entryway into her work. It's like 40 bucks and it's a workshop all about like the basics of starting to like think about your business in anti-capitalist ways. Thank you. That's amazing. And a music track or artist or any playlist that you listen to that lifts you up. Mm, okay. <laughs> That was a like really deep thing. Um, okay, this is really basic, but I love Little Mix. Like anything Little Mix, I will listen to. It amps me up. I'm all about it. I love a girl group. It might just be the '90s kid in me, but I love, a girl loves a girl group. So Little Mix all the way. I did not know that about you. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Little Mix, Fifth Harmony, Danny B. Kane. Like, I'm pretty sure a lot of times I literally just stand them because they're girl groups. I mean, obviously. And, like, I, wa I want to name because people might be like, is she for real? Like, okay, obviously Destiny's Child. Like, obviously TLC. Like, you know, like, they're 3LW. Like, there's there's obviously a whole group, whole bunch of groups before. And, like, you know, at SWV, like, people like that. Okay, yes. Little Mix is it for me, y'all. Little Mix. If you can even throw Blackpink in, like, you know, give K-pop a little love. But no, Little Mix. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And because we are Drag Race obsessives with the exclusion yes. of this season, <laughs> I have to ask you, who is your favorite drag artist of all time? I think it really has to be Simone now because Simone just the love letter to black women. I've never felt so seen and so respected by a drag artist and the way that Simone takes black style, black culture and like make turns it into fashion. I mean, it's always been fashion, but it, it's just like there's something really healing about watching Simone do their drag. So I appreciate them and they're my favorite. Mm. I have to say, if you have a full moment Every time you interact with someone where it feels meaningful, where you feel seen, where you feel that you have to be thoughtful about something, even if it's just from an outfit, even if it's just from one sentence that they've mm -hmm. said, whether it's when they're in drag, whether it's in an interview, whether it's at a show, like a live show, or whether it's on a TV episode, that is just something powerful. Yeah. Yeah. And with that said... Thank you for this episode, Giselle. Thank you for being here. <laughs> Thank you for having me with this was the best. I really enjoyed it. I did too. Thank you so much. I'll make sure that we link to everything inside of the show notes. And I really, really hope that if you've been listening to this, that you enjoyed my conversation with Giselle Allen. Bye for now. Bye. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd love for you to leave a review or share it on social and tag me. And if you'd like to find out how we can work together to help you grow your business to the next level, then feel free to visit emmaweatherall.com or just drop me a message on Instagram. See you next time.